listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Over these next few Sundays, we'll highlight further areas that you and I are supporting through our legacy commitment. Also, I want to take a moment to update you as to where we're sitting as we approach our 2020 target. Again, if you're new to life, you may not be aware that through Legacy, we're literally believing to raise 45 million. The reason is so that we can pay off our Auckland campuses and then be positioned to annually commit to $20 million worth of community impact, not just once, but every year. And the great news so far is we have had 25.34 million pledged and we've seen 14.6 million already come in. To help reach this goal, we are believing for 3,000 legacy partners, two groups of people, 2,700 builders we call them, and 300 Gideons. Of these numbers, we currently have 2,069 builders and 140 Gideons. It's amazing, but still, there's such a long way to go. And I'm asking you to consider today and over these next few weeks whether you'd join us and become part of the Legacy family. To become one of the partners, all you need to do is reach into the seat in front, grab an envelope and hand that in at the information desk once you know what God puts in your heart. This year, we are receiving pledges over every week of the Legacy program and every instruction that you need is on the envelope. And if you're online, you can make contact with us and we'd love to help you become part of this legacy miracle. Seriously, on behalf of Marie and I, the board and the leadership team, can I say a big thank you. Thank you for everything that you are doing. Thank you for the investment that you're making to impact, to change this generation with the reality of Jesus. Together, we can create a generational echo that will be felt well into the generations that follow us. I reckon we need to stand to our feet. Come on, let's stand to our feet in every campus. And uh, one more time, why don't we put our hands together and really appreciate all that God is doing through so many that are willing. And I reckon we need to pray. Because I don't know about you, but I'm believing God for even more. Father, we thank you today that uh, whether we're here for the first time, this is our home church, you're a God of miracles. We thank you, Lord, that together, if we will listen and say yes, you move mountains. And we just pray over Aotearoa, we pray over Melbourne, across Australia, that God, you'll continue to move in powerful ways. We pray for those that we get to stand next to today. We pray a blessing over them. Let there be a moment for all of us in our time together where you speak to our hearts. We ask that. We honor you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a high five on your way down. Just make sure that they feel comfortable. Well, I'm pumped to be at Legacy Sunday, week one. And uh, if you are visiting at any of our campuses, it's just so great to have you uh, joining us today on what we believe is going to be an amazing three weeks. And on your way in, if you missed it, we've got a Legacy magazine. Strongly encourage you to take that home and have a good read through it. 
And if my message gets boring, you can open it up and have a look. And uh, you'll just be inspired by what God is doing through people. And I'm so moved. You know, the more you look at what God is doing, the more you're amazed that God is true to His Word. And if you were wanting a theme for Legacy 2019, it really is around this thought that we are believing to create a generational echo. Not just live a here and now and do that well, but let there be an echo of who God is through our lives for generations to come. And I was considering uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 earlier this week, and I felt drawn to it. And Solomon writes on behalf of God, he says, you need to realize that to everything, not just some things, but to everything, there is a season. In other words, we understand uh, that we have winter and summer, we have autumn and spring, but he was saying in the economy of God, God works by seasons. And God gives seasons for a purpose. But he doesn't stop there. Not only is there a season to everything, but there is a time. There's a time, there's a moment in the season. Everything that happens under heaven, there's a time, a moment. God operates in seasons, but we operate in time. And I've been thinking about that. Simply put, I would put it like this, that God establishes seasons, but we activate moments. You know, a lot of the church is saying, God, would you move? And God says, but I move through your heart and your hand. I I need you to understand that there is a season that I say yes, and there is a moment that I'm looking for you to say yes. And your yes is not necessarily the same as someone else's, but we are all with an opportunity within the seasons of God to create a moment. If you look behind the scenes of life for many years, particularly in the early years, we would have our worship team worshiping. And I would say to them, as I was involved a little more, I'd say, so where's the moment going to be? Because you can have great songs, we can have great lights, we can have great events, but God is a God not just of the overall He's the God of the moment. How many know you can be talking to friends you work with about your life, but there will come a moment where God's giving you an open door to share your faith. It's a moment. It's those moments that change everything. For anything to have the blessing of God on it, we've got to understand the season we're in. For 28 years, it's kind of like we've been operating at life. And what we've done is just say, God, what what do you want to do in this next season? And then when we've heard clearly from God, it's like, well, then with your seasonal focus, it's kind of like you get my yes moment. And I think sometimes we in the church, we are thankful we're saved, but we don't realize God's waiting for our activation of our moment. And just to say, yes, I I love the story about Pastor Ned when he's in his car and he's driving through South Auckland and it's like God says, hey, Ned, I want you to consider doing something where you can feed some of the families that need feeding in this area. And he's sitting there dialoguing with God and says, all right, God, if that's what you want, I'll I'll go and do it. Well, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll take a a, a drive to the council and just talk to them about it. Well, the council apparently had just been talking about the need to have more activated food stations. Ned rocks up and says, have you ever considered doing a soup kitchen? A moment. Within a season that changed everything. And I believe that God is awakening many of us to the fact that we're not just one of a number. 
Maybe you're in church today and you've been hurt. God doesn't want you to park at your hurt. He wants you to realize he's got a brand new season. And in that season is a moment where God's saying, if you're willing, religion will force you. Unfortunately, the church at times has dominated people. God's not like that. But he calls and he says, I'm on the other side of the door. If you take a moment to open it. Come on, you'll give me access to begin to heal and restore and set a fire within your belly. Yeah, but God, I, I haven't felt you for a long time. No, there's a season and there's a moment. Genesis 22 speaks about Abraham who became the father. He was called the father of faith. And if you know anything about his story with Sarah, his wife, they were infertile and they were longing for a child and God promised them a child. But the season of God does not always equate to the timing of men. God says, you're going to have a child in this life, but the child's not coming. Another month, another year, another 10 years, another 50 years. Like God, you promised it, but where is it? Then came a moment and she fell pregnant and it defied everything naturally. And then this young boy began to grow up Isaac and he became a young man and God tapped Abraham again in a season with a moment. And he said to Abraham, now it came to pass after all of these things that God tested, God awakened, God came into focus, God tapped on the shoulder, God tested Abraham and he said to Abraham, Abraham, and you know what Abraham said? That voice I can trust. That, that voice that said a son was coming and it never came, it did come. And so he said, here I am, I I've learned to live my moments. I, I, I'm, I'm here and I'm now. And then God says to him in verse two, he says, I want you to take your only son, your son Isaac, whom you love, your most precious possession. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And I want you to offer your son on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. You see, Abraham was willing because he knew the voice of God. And he was obedient because he knew that God could be trusted. But you know, many of us don't enter our moment. It's because we don't know the voice of God. We haven't heard him. And so we don't trust him. And yet God says to him, I want you to take your son to a mountain that I'll tell you where it is as you get going. So often we miss the moment because we want human security. You know, 28 years ago, we haven't done everything right by a long shot, but Marie and I and three little boys under five started this incredible thing that God entrusted called life. And I've had to learn along the way that God's gonna tap us on the shoulder and go, it's your moment. Like, yeah, I believe you're a good God and you do good things. And God says, no, but it's your moment. And it's like, I want you now to be willing without clarity. It's like, well, when I know which mountain I'm gonna take Isaac to, Maybe I'll do it, but it's like, no, I'm not gonna tell you. You're just gonna have to trust my voice. Moments are wrapped in a now word from God. It's kind of moments have this ability to know that no matter what it looks like, God will bring it to the best conclusion. So Abraham, even as he took Isaac to sacrifice, he said to the others with him, hey, we're going up to worship, we're coming back. God will always work it out even when it feels beyond for us as a church to be a part of a community, come on, agency drive where last 
year we work with 360 community, community agencies and go, that started just with a moment. You know, we're, we're in a nation that needs to know God cares. Can somebody get excited? We're in a nation where people are crying out, is there a God? I don't want religion. Well, neither do I. But I need to know there's a God that cares about me, that turns up at my door in some backwater of New Zealand, so it feels at times. And there's a box of value saying you're more important than you could ever realise. And if you step into your moment, you could become a spreader of that light that's come to you. You can create a generational echo. God says, I want what's most important to you. I want the thing that is most precious, the thing that is dear to your heart, because as you trust me with that, I'll be able to move you forward into the next that I have for you. Then that finishes in verse 15 of Genesis 22, where the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham a second time. I think there's a lot of Christians that have never had the second outcome because they've been in the season, but they haven't activated their moment. The second time there was a call from heaven and God says, by myself, I have sworn because you have done this thing. You don't need to do what I do and I don't need to do what you do, but I need to hear from God and activate the moment because when I activate the moment because you've done this thing and you have not withheld what was most precious to you, now I'm free to bring blessing and I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that's on the seashore. Listen to this. And your descendants will possess the gates of their enemy. In other words, their future will be filled with the protection of God because you've obeyed my voice. The earth you're in is gonna be blessed. And I wanna encourage you that legacy is far more than just a thought or two. It's a, it's, it's a touch of God. I I'll never forget when God touched me on the shoulder three and a half years ago, really, literally, just like, hey, Paul, this is how it came. Can you believe? Could you believe me that we could have the Auckland campuses paid for by the end of 2020? Could you believe that? And it's like, well, God, you can do anything. And I was kind of like God was echoing in the background. I can do anything, but can you believe it? See, so you can believe in the season, but you don't believe in the moment. And I said, well, God, yes, you can do that. Can you believe that all the Auckland campuses, and if you're visiting for the first time, you go, why would you want to raise 45 million to pay off all of the Auckland campuses? Currently, we are uh, leasing a campus in Melbourne. We will buy there. It's like the whole heart behind it is not to get rid of the debt, even though that's a good thing. It's to position us so that every year, Come on, I need to go south or north or somewhere. It's like every year, life, hand on heart, will be able to be positioned to have $20 million worth of community impact. And so when there is the lost and the broken and the hurting and the disenfranchised crying out, is there a God? Somebody turns up and says, there's more to this than you could ever realise. And I believe it's God. It's like, it's gonna, it's gonna need a divine miracle. But more than a divine miracle, listen to this, it needs an unconditional, yes. It needs a moment. It's 
like, okay, God, if you want this, then I think sometimes, to be honest, if I'm, I'm going to be honest, you know me by now. I think a lot of our Christianity on a global platform is I'm in it for what I get out of it. What's in it for me? And I want to challenge and I want to speak to your heart that Christianity is so much more than what's in it for you. It's about the generational heritage that God is looking for us to understand that God establishes seasons. Come on, but we activate moments. And again, I don't want anyone to feel pressure. I mean, we, we're going to share the vision strong as we always have. But I want to be one of those like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, where it's like when God says, who will go for us? I'm going to say, there I am. Send me. And it's in that point that lives are changed. Come on, we're going to go to the second part of the video. You're going to be encouraged by the lives that are changed through many of our yes moments. Let's go to the screen. I grew up in church and when we had our son, we realized we wanted something more for him. Uh, we wanted him to know who God was and have an intimate relationship. So we started looking for a new church. The moment we walked into life, we never left. That Sunday, the message was on legacy. And we knew this is what we wanted for our son. And so he came home one day and he said, Mum, I just love to worship God. And that is exactly why we chose life, for that very reason. I was brought up in a family that, that knew of Jesus but wasn't saved, you know. So I wasn't saved until I was 19 years old. You know, you could have all the property, the money in the world that you could leave behind for your children, but the legacy that's found in Christ mm. is something that I know can never be taken away. I think personally for me, Christmas box is what stands out the most. I heard this really cool story of, you know, a street in South Auckland that got a whole lot of Christmas boxes and apparently the, the week that the boxes were given out, you know, the number of domestic violence call-outs kind of came down. The impact that it makes on individuals and families and for me to be part of that, mm -hmm. I think, was what stood out the most. Growing up, you were taught to always give, give, give and you were lucky if you saw anything returned. But there are so many other amazing initiatives like Soup Kitchen, like all these other things that we're called to be God's hands and feet and life live out there. And you know, we often pray for miracles, but we can be someone's miracle just from these small things. And you know, Christmas box, it changes an entire family's day. A generational echo to me is that love will continue to be found in my children's children's children who I will never meet um, and then they will know somewhere down the line someone prayed for me someone had hope for me um, someone loved me enough to cover my family um, to ensure that a legacy was left behind well what an absolute privilege to have Andrew and Angelica with me today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You guys come from very different backgrounds. You were sharing. You came to a point then you said, you know what? We want to find a church home that's different to what we've experienced. Tell us about that. 
I grew up in a traditional Pacific Island family. Um, church was not a negotiating subject, and my mum's rule was you can do whatever you want Monday to Saturday, Sunday you will be in church. I think a lot of us would like that kind of mum, wouldn't we? But that's not always the best. <laughs> no, it was definitely not for me. <laughs> and so um, then becoming a mum and seeing this is not the life that I want for my child, there had to be something in life more than what we had experienced. So good. You know, and uh, y- your lives now, and for numbers of years, you bought straight into legacy in that you go, hey, you know, Christmas box, what a great idea. We want to financially help support. But what would you say to others of us that maybe are new to life or we're on the edge about partnering financially through legacy? Why do you do that? I think for me personally, it's um, giving God that opportunity to take you on a faith journey. When I first came to New Zealand 12 years ago, you know, um, I literally had $200 in my bank account, enough money to pay a week's rent. And what legacy has meant for me, for us, is that God's used that little um, to, to, you know, to bless us abundantly. People think by giving your little, it's taking away from what you've got. It doesn't stop there. Um, God will take what you have and multiply. It's so good. And I just love hearing what God is doing through people that are saying, hey, God spoke to us. And, you know, for you particularly, there's a passion for Christmas Box. And I love that through Christmas Box, lives are being changed everywhere. And uh, one of the ladies that has been so impacted, you've never met, but so impacted by Christmas Box is Marina. Let's take a moment to have a listen to her story. I've been in Midi Midi for 23 years. I have five boys and three girls. I was living at the time at number 34 to Fiddle, and there was a knock on my back door, and they says, oh, Merry Christmas to you and your family, Marina, and this is a Christmas box to you. And I went, oh my God, this, what, I don't believe this. We, you know, as I said, we, this doesn't happen in Meta Medi. I was so honored and I'm grateful to to receive. When I did receive it, I you know, I was just absolutely shocked, emotions and everything was just hitting home. And you know, I grabbed got got the box and I put it in the lounge and my two youngest goes, My mum is that else? I went, Yes it is. I've just seen the expression on their faces. That just told a big story. You know, it was just um, happiness, tears and everything because opening to them was opening up a big present. So that meant uh, a lot to me. Marina, we found the video clip that we recorded with you 11 years ago. And so, um, yeah, we wanted to be able to play that down to you. So. My name is Marina. I live in Meri Meri Village. I'm the mother of eight. My eldest is 27. My youngest is five. done a, uh, actually a lot of things. I was getting involved in the Medimeda community and especially for our youth because they are your next generation and what I've shown them and, and taught them it's not just about mum, dad or nan, grandfather, the Lord is there. So they feel that they're not alone. You mightn't see him but he definitely does hear you and he does answer you. 
So I, I installed that in my children, and that's what I want to pass that to them, to their children. For me, I think a Christmas box is it's a huge thing. It helps the family in that time, no matter how small it is or how big it is. It's the thought for me and my family, and no doubt for others. Thank you so much. What a powerful story. Well, we're so honoured today to have Marina with us. Why don't you come and join us, sit here at the table. Uh, you're from Medi Medi. Yes, I am. And, of course, this is Andrew and Angelica. You wouldn't have met, but they love investing in the Christmas box. Oh, thank you so much. So awesome. And uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Getting a Christmas box for my family was a huge impact. Um, oh, this is why I get so emotional because that doesn't happen. To see my children open the box, the expression is overwhelming. What you have in your Christmas boxes, honestly, I could never buy that for my, my family. It's not just about a Christmas box now, it's about a gift, it's a blessing. You know, I've been through a lot myself. Um, in 10 years, a lot of things have changed with my family. I have grandchildren now, um, and they're beautiful. I have seven, and wow. another one on the way, eight, well, so I am blessed. You know, and in some of the conversations, it's like, when you got the Christmas box, did it, again, just encourage you to pay it forward and to do things in your community? I think so, I think so. The first year I received a Christmas box, the following year, I made myself available to actually go in and pack. Awesome. And it wasn't just packing, I donated my Christmas box to another family who wasn't able to get one in Medimedi. So powerful. The best thing ever. You know, and I think for all of us today, we're here we are sitting around the table and for Andrew and Angelica and for their heart to say, hey God, I'm, we're going to do something, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to invest in the legacy. You're a receiver, now others are receiving and the echo goes on and on and on, most powerful. And I, I think it'd be great today for us to pray, to pray that there will be more that will find hope, more that will know God cares. Father, we thank you today that you're a God that reaches us when we are in our tough times, when we feel very much alone. And we just pray that we will, as a church, be moved by you to know that beyond even the box, is life change beyond even the receiving of something practical is the fact that we feel valued and we honor you we pray for christmas box we pray that it will reach further and further and further in the name of jesus amen amen when you see that you see that one couple, Angelica and Andrew, have a yes moment. And in 2006, Marina gets the unexpected, not just the food, but that her and her kids matter. And then somebody sent me just a shot because Marina was down at South this morning. Her in worship with hands up, tears running down her face. 
And you go, this is not a message. This is not a pump up. This is not some kind of emotional stir. This is about a father in heaven that's got a heart that's breaking. His heart's breaking for people that are desperate. And saying, is there anything, anyone, could there be a God? And I think the church, by and large, has got so cold. We think just speaking in a pulpit on a Sunday is going to change the world. Rather than realizing if we don't clothe those that need to be warmed. And if we don't take our yes moment, then maybe the season of God will never materialize on our watch. Maybe we are in it more for what we want out of it than what God wants to do in and through us. Marie's been saying a lot lately to us as a a board on the board, she says, you know, revival's on the heart of the Father. And if you're at the revival night, I, I mentioned three things that I believe are a part of anyone that lives a revived God-led life. There is hunger, there is obedience, and there's resilience. There's a sense where we're thankful for what God's done, but we're not satisfied. I think it was uh, Lou Eagle that said these words, revival is the eruption of God's heart on a life that's been poured out. God's looking for people that are just going to go, God, I'm in. Whatever you want. You want to take me to a mountain I know not of and want to take the most precious, then I'm still in because I've heard your voice and I know that you come through. And the sense of, oh God, how hungry are we really for God? Psalm 63 in verse 1 says, oh God, you are my God. I'm going to seek you earnestly, early. In the morning, my soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. You know, sometimes I think I can be as guilty as anyone else, so busy doing the stuff. When sun rises for a new day, it's, I don't know how hungry I am. Maybe my appetite's been filled with other stuff that doesn't last. And I suppose today, as you know I'm like, even if you're visiting, I hope I don't upset you, but I wanna talk to your heart. If you're a Christian and you say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm forgiven and I belong to God, then what level of kingdom appetite are you living with? Is it like, God, I'll, I'll do something for you as a sort of a throwaway at the end as long as I get everything I want? No, it's like, how hungry are you? This week we had one of our, or we had a few of our grandkids over and one of them was dished up from Mimi, Grandma, some lovely nuggets. But it was kind of like it was an interesting response. I, I, I don't want them, they, they're burnt. They weren't burnt. How many know when you start fasting, everything looks good? They weren't burnt. They were slightly brown. But she says, I don't want them. They're burnt. What she really was saying is I'm not hungry. Because how many know when you've been fasting, you'll eat anything? Come on, I'm talking to you today. Over in Melbourne, up at North, South, here at Central. It's kind of like God saying, are you, are you really hungry for God to move? On your watch, are you really desperate that the city, the nations that you're living in are gonna have the touch of heaven? 
Leonard Ravenhill, who was a revivalist, said this, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. And so life will always be a place where you're going to be challenged because I'm always challenged. I read stories of how a Dunedin woman by the name of Arabella in 1882 looked around at her city in Dunedin, 1882, and prostitution was everywhere. Poverty was again enveloping the community. There was violence, all kinds of things. So she heard about a guy and this guy was called General William Booth. So she sent a letter to the one that started the Salvation Army and said, would you please send somebody to my town? And in that letter was a check for 200 pounds. That's in 1882. That would equate to close on $35,000 today. The city's in poverty. You'd look at it and say, there's no real answer, but there's one woman that goes, I don't want to live in a city where there is no change. Sir William Booth, I'm giving you everything. Would you send somebody? The next year, he sent two of his young ambassadors. And even on the ship on the journey over, they converted three others and got them to join them. The next year, they began meetings. Within three years from 1883 to 1886, that group grew to 5,000. Come on, somebody get excited. And I thank God for the Sallies today. Come on, put your hands together and just say, thank God there's a legacy, there's a generational echo. There's an echo. You can be in the season, but you've got to take the moment. You go, well, how do I get hungry? Well, hunger reveals humility. When you get a humble heart, it's like, God, I just need more of you. I'm sick of just trying to do it all on my own, even if I've got it all. I need a hunger that's spiritual. Hunger is about a God dependence. It's about, God, I'm looking for more of you. Abraham learned all he needed was the Word. I didn't have to understand it, work it all out. I just needed to know it was Him. And if you're saying, go God, I'm going. You're saying everything, I'm saying everything. God doesn't say that all the time to everyone, but it's like, you know, in our church, we've got a great turnouts in our prayer meetings, but I still go, I'll never sleep well until one day we get everybody out to our prayer meetings. (laughs) You know, I'm so busy, Pastor. Well, join the club. Let's have a look at our diaries for the last 12 months. Come on, fasting? You want me to fast? No, I don't want you to do anything. God's asking. Would you make room? Would you become more dependent? Would you lay down your life so that the life of others could be resurrected? Would you come to a place of saying, God, we need you. It's not earning brownie points. It's just, I pray that this Wednesday over in Melbourne, come on, we all get out there, kids and all. One hour of prayer. Oh, I have to park so long away. Oh, don't give a rip. There'll be no parking places in heaven. Come on. And I'm not putting the guilt on you. I know how people can do that. But it's like, could we just do it on behalf of our nation? All of us, north, south, and central, we're all going to come back to central on Wednesday night, 7.30, 8.30. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to move like we've never seen. Hunger reveals humility. Hunger also challenges complacency. It's kind of like, you know, without even knowing it, we get complacent. 
We got the nice chairs. Before we had this building a year ago, we were, I was reminded this morning in the prayer meeting, it's like we were praying that this miracle would come to pass. We're here now in Central. It's so easy to get complacent. And I, I want to encourage you, don't, don't get complacent. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be in that place where you're not going to park. You're not going to stay where you are. You know, arriving in New Zealand 28 years ago, talking to three of the key leading pastors, it was like, what's happened to them? I think the disappointments had got into their heart and their expectation had gone. Well, I've had a lot of things that I could be disappointed. I've been disappointed with myself, disappointed with people. At times, not even understanding what God is up to. And, but if you don't deal with disappointment, it turns into apathy. And God is looking for an army of people that, come on, we don't just get excited because we're on the field. We're excited because we're in the team. And, and we're building something. I actually believe prophetically, I want to share this, in Auckland, and I know it's got relevance in Melbourne. But I believe about 50 years ago, God gave a mandate over the city of Auckland. And things began to rise and buildings began to grow. It was a season in God. But men didn't take the moment. Come on. We just got careless with the moment. And as a result of that, it never eventuated to much. And God is giving us a moment. Because again, let's all hear it. God establishes seasons, but we are the ones that activate the moments. And there are so many of us already that are saying, I'm going to activate the legacy moment. So you go, well, why are you wanting to do it? As I've explained, so that we can activate, come on, the healing of God. The provision of God. The answers of God in a tangible way. People say, well, I don't like giving to buildings. You don't give to buildings. Marie and I have never given to a building in our lives. We've never given to a project. We've always given to God. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.